There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Over Everything podcast, presented by KFC. I'm your host, William Liu of Yahoo Sports Canada. On this week's episode, I have features writer Joel Wolfon from The Score. What is going on? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Um, you know, just uh, embracing the grind and enjoying wow. the NBA season. You know, it's, uh, it's been a good year. Are you saying that because Norman Powell's back from injury? <laughs> sure, yeah, let's go with that the grinder yeah we'll talk a lot about norman powell and just just generally i think um wolf on i mean even though you cover the the general nba i know i know where your heart lies and it's the raptors and um you know you definitely have a lot of uh i don't you're just very insightful when it comes to the raptors you know um definitely a great follow on twitter and everything like that uh i appreciate it yeah let's start here though who are the raptors because right now you have a team that has played pretty much half a season but you kind of have seen this team sort of fragmented you have um you know the the full lineup uh they played together about half the season and then you have the no Kyle no Ibaka team and then you have the no Pascal no Mark no Norma Powell team and they've all been varying degrees of successful but uh I'll just I'll just ask you man who are the Raptors I I think that like fully healthy they're still probably like the third or maybe even second best team in the East. Is that crazy to say? Like, no. I, I think if you just look at what they've managed to do while cycling different guys in and out of the lineup, um, obviously it's just been really difficult to take the measure of the team because either like they've been missing guys or they've been trying to work guys back in. And I think it's just been such a difficult juggling act. But I still have a lot of confidence in in this team at full strength. And, like, the fact that they are still sitting here with the number two defense in the NBA, mm-hmm. obviously the offense has slipped to the point that it's now, I think, below league average. But, like, what do you expect when, you know, they missed basically their, you know, their number one offensive option for uh, 11 games? Uh, they've been without their starting point guard for 11 games they've been without their playmaking center for 12 games and patrick mccaw's averaging 27 minutes a game like it's, it's, it's to be expected but i think the fact that they have maintained such an incredibly high uh, defensive baseline mm-hmm. and are now going to start to get these guys back and back into rhythm i think i think the ceiling is pretty high and so I don't know. I think that's who this team is. It's a team that's going to absolutely go and get it at the defensive end every night. I think offense, even even fully healthy, is not going to be perfect. It's going to be a struggle some nights. But um, I think this is a team that, you know, if 
if they had been healthy for the entire season, would probably be top 10 at both ends of the floor. So that's like a borderline elite team, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in agreement with pretty much all of that. Um, I, I think, to your point about the, the team as a whole, the potential is definitely still there in the sense that, like, we've seen the best case scenario from like each of these guys individually like for example like we've seen uh i mean marcus has just been consistently impactful but we've seen for example in his absence uh serge Ibaka stepped up and he's averaging about 19 points per game with like 11 rebounds uh, and shooting 54 percent from the field that's awesome production i mean you know it's just the raw numbers are a little bit better than the actual impact numbers but still you can't you can't really deny that uh, obviously, we've seen Kyle play at an all-star level. We've honestly seen Fred at times play at an all-star level. Pascal has definitely pretty much played an all-star level throughout the season. And you've seen Norm break out a little bit uh, and, and find consistency in his scoring. And it's just, you've seen all these things. The only thing that is a bit of a question is um, we haven't seen them all do their best together. Isn't that kind of weird to say? Because just because of the injuries, right? Because you know, when for, for example, there was no Kyle Noah Baca, they go nine and two during that stretch, which is just amazing that they did that. Um, but during that stretch, you know, Fred was balling out, uh, Pascal was balling out. But then when they came back, um, you know, the, the the production just wasn't quite there. And I, so, I, I guess my question to you is: Is this sort of a question? Is is it a fit issue, or is it just sort of like a um, you know lack of reps issue? Because they're just basically dealing with new lineups every day um i think it's reps i don't really see a ton of fit issues with this team like i actually think their core pieces complement each other quite well and um like i've thought about this a lot because it's kind of you know people are always asking like do you think they'll make a move like do they have a trade to make like a, a clear area that it makes sense to upgrade and i feel like it's hard to find that move because I think everybody really does sort of fit in their specific role quite well. And there's a lot of just solid complementary talent on this team. So, like, I don't see there being a fit issue at all. Like, I think Kyle and Fred work really well in a backcourt together. I think both of those guys play off of Siakam pretty well. Um, You know, we've seen how well I think everybody plays off of Mark. When Mark's healthy, like, him and Norm have developed a really nice chemistry and OG being that guy who's, you know, kind of like a secondary attacker off of the catch, who's even able to spot up and hit threes, like at least this season at a 38% clip. Um, I think I think the pieces all fit pretty well, and there's not a ton of overlap. Like, nobody's really stepping on each other's toes. And I think it's just a question of, of guys being comfortable, and nobody's really had a chance to get comfortable because everyone's role keeps changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fred is had to step in and basically become the primary playmaker when Lowry's been out. And I feel like he's maybe been a little bit overextended in that role at times. He's looked pretty good in that role at times too. But, mm-hmm. um, and then you see, you know, when, when Siakam and Norm and Mark are all out at the same time, the incredible playmaking load that Lowry has to take on. And that's just not really his game. Like, I, I don't think he's particularly comfortable having to be a go-to scorer. Um, as much as, you know, in like the Dallas game and the Indiana game, he looked incredibly comfortable doing it. I think ultimately he wants to be more of a facilitator and a playmaker than he does a scorer. So mm-hmm. I think guys have been forced out of their comfort zones. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing either. Uh, it's given them a chance to, I think, show that at least in spurts they can really do it. Yeah, that's true. Um, it is really impressive that Kyle can step into whatever role he needs to. Um 
because like for a while there, like he, he's basically giving you like Damian Lillard production. Maybe not the the raw scoring wasn't as high as high as like thirty points, but um, yeah, Kyle has really worn different hats this year, and and I do want to see. I mean, uh, more than anything else, I just want to see the team healthy uh, because I I mean obviously that's just such a big factor of who's successful in the NBA. But um, I want to see the team healthy. I want to get. Them, I want to see them get some reps, just so that everyone can sort of find their role, like you mentioned. Because I, I think right now, there's not necessarily an imbalance, but it does feel a little bit strange that halfway through the season, even after winning the championship, there are still some question marks in terms of um, exactly how the rotation would, would shake out. Um, I, maybe I'm jumping a little bit ahead here, but in terms of the starting lineup, uh, Nick has mentioned that there might be some changes to. Uh, you know, it just it's up for question. It's it's up for debate, and um, you know, I, I think it sort of circles back to where they were at the start of the season when they looked at it and they said, "Well, we have seven guys basically that are starting caliber quality, especially now that Norm Powell has broken out, uh, especially now that OG has really established himself as a quality three and D guy, and Fred has also been really good." Pretty much all there's seven guys on the Raptors that are starting caliber, and I think right now it's really just about finding the fit of that top seven. And then sprinkling in like two or three more guys at the back end of the rotation to complement that. So I'll ask you, uh, would you make any changes to starting lineup when everyone gets healthy and, and, and hopefully everyone stays healthy? I don't think I would. Um, I think Mark is ultimately still going to be best in that starting center role. And I, I still want to see him playing, you know, whatever he was playing before, I think 28 minutes a game. Yep. Um, maybe he gets eased back in, but ultimately, like, I think he is. And if you look at the numbers, like you were mentioning the impact stats on Ibaka, they've been really, really rough this year. And I don't think that that has entirely matched my eye test. I think he's been pretty solid for Mm -hmm. the most part, but like they've been infinitely better with Gasol on the floor. He has been their most impactful defender. And I think, you know, he was, he was starting to come around offensively before he got hurt. Yeah, he like, was starting to actually hit some two point shots <laughs> and score a little bit around the basket. And I, I still don't think that should be his game at all. Like I've told you before, I think yeah. he needs to be shooting like nine threes a game Broke Lopez. And, and just migrating out there and essentially taking his playmaking talents out to the perimeter. Like he can make plays outside in just as well as inside out. Mm-hmm. And especially the fact that basically nobody's doubling him in the post anymore. Um, there's no real advantage to to posting him up or trying to play with him in the interior but um basically i think i think he should be the starting center i think you know the other question i guess would be about whether norm or fred should be the starting two and as much as you know norm's had a great season then i do think that he plays better alongside the starters than he does coming off the bench mm-hmm. when he has to be more of like an off the dribble threat which i just don't think no, is that's his sweet not his spot. game He's a finisher. He's not a creator. Um, yeah. So I think that's where it gets tough because I think Fred is still quite a bit better than Norm, um, especially at the defensive end. And so I, you know, naturally I would prefer to see Fred starting and playing more minutes, but then you get maybe into some stuff where how do you maximize everybody? Mm-hmm. And what, can you better maximize Norm by having him start and then having Fred come off of the bench and, and be your primary initiator with transitional lineups? Um, that's where I'm not entirely sure, but I think I'm, I'm still lean toward keeping Fred in the starting lineup and bringing Norm off, off the bench. And then maybe just having, you know, one of Fred or Kyle hit the bench, like at the six minute mark of the first quarter. And then you're still having Norm play with the starters. You're getting him some run with Gasol mm-hmm. and 
then you're able to stagger Lowry and Van Vliet's minutes, so you're not really playing any with one of those guys on the bench, uh, both of those guys on the bench. Yeah, yeah, that's ideally you have one of your <laughs> your, your real point guards on there, so that uh, yeah. Pat McCaw is not running point for 20 minutes a game. Um, yeah, wow, I can't believe they've, they've been running Pat McCaw that much. Uh, we'll talk about Pat, I guess, in a bit, too. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess really the starting lineup, it, it's really just that two-guard spot that people still have questions for. I guess, in my sense, I, I was always a fan of the Van Vliet and Lowry combo, and I remain that. But I do see the case now for Norm, just because Norm has, I think he has changed his game in a way where he's just so polished as a finisher that I don't mind it because... There is there is there are some things you can do with Norm that that aren't necessarily there with Fred, but I I do ultimately agree with you that Fred brings more to the table, and um, and honestly, there's just more there's just more of a track record with Lowry and Van Vliet being successful together. Like Norm, for example, last year, right now, uh, you know, the combination of Lowry and Powell, uh, according to Basketball Reference, the two man combination there are about minus zero point seven points per hundred possessions. So like pretty much like you know just league average. Um, last season it was one point zero positive one point zero. So again, it's it's not like a it's not a great lineup. It's not a bad lineup. It's just it's fine. Um, whereas if you look at Larry Van Vliet this season, it's minus zero point two points per hundred possessions. So like marginally better than the Larry Powell combination. But last season, Larry and Van Vliet regular season were a plus five point two points per hundred possessions together, and that's not even accounting for the playoffs, where obviously they played a lot uh, together in in the finals and, and even in that Bucks series. Um, so I still ultimately think that's that's the case. I mean, so you know, so you get Powell and and Ibaka together. I think you know that's 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 where some of the fit issues might be. That if you have the starting lineup where it is, and I think the starting lineup is fine. You know, Lowry, Van Vliet, uh, you know, OG, Pascal, Mark. But then ultimately, what you're kind of doing is off the bench, you're bringing two finishers and not a guy who can create as well. And I think there's a noticeable drop-off, especially when everyone was healthy at the start of the season. There was a noticeable drop-off when they went to the bench, and the creation just just you know fell off a cliff. Like, Ibaka wants to finish, and Norman Powell wants to finish. And it's sort of just like, who's setting the table for those guys? And and that's where I feel like that that could be... You know, one of the impetuses, if you if if you were Nick Nurse, to look at maybe slightly different lineup combinations. Yeah, and I think that's why you want to get Lowry out of the game first, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have him run the first five or six minutes, but like, ideally, you want to have him in the game when Ibaka and Norman there, especially a surge, right? right. Like nobody yeah. sets the table for surge better than Kyle does, yeah. and so if you're, you know bringing Kyle back in to to essentially run like you know our our favorite Kyle and bench look uh you know at the start of the second quarters then I think you're gonna be in pretty good shape um and um I think you know that's the point I was talking about with the stagger it's just like as long as if both those guys are healthy and you're and you're able to play 48 minutes with at least one of Lowry or Van Vliet on the floor Mm -hmm. you know uh, Van Vliet's not nearly the creator that Lowry is but I think he's definitely good enough that um, you know, if if he has to be your primary creator for you know however many minutes it is, whether it's like fifteen minutes a game, then I think I think you're okay. Yeah, and especially if he's out there with Pascal, I feel like he can create. Yeah, not you don't have to create that much for Pascal. Pascal is just straight up a star, and he can create his own offense. But uh, you know, Van Vliet and and, and uh, Siakam have always had a nice two man game. Uh, and their numbers have always been positive as as a tandem, and I feel like that's where you know as that as that third playmaker, that third playmaker has sort of been of an issue for the Raptors 
we're seeing it now. I mean, due to the injuries and stuff like that, that third playmaker is Pat McCaw. And he's had two really good games, you know, against Charlotte and against Boston on the road. But other than that, <laughs> you know, it's it's been real rough. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, I, I guess when everyone's healthy, Pascal really is that third playmaker in the sense where, you know, he can create. And also Mark is also there as a factor, as a fourth. But, you know, if you look at the starting lineup versus the bench, I mean, you have four of your playmakers in the starting lineup and you have pretty much zero on the bench. Uh, so that's that's where I guess the imbalance could come in. But again, like you mentioned, man, you could just stagger the lineup to make sure that it's it's all there, and and you can sort of carry those lineups together. Um, I think Davis too has like you know obviously he has a lot of room to grow as a playmaker, but mm-hmm. like he's got the ability. I think he's a a really good passer, and um, uh, you know there are some areas I think where his decision making could come a little bit quicker. Um, and a lot of time he's looking for his own offense rather than to create for other people, but like. I think if you give him the chance and give him a few more reps, then he could grow into that role as uh, as like a creator off of the bench. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right now he's he's more. I mean, he's more Norm than he is Fred at the moment. Just in the sense yeah. that like he's pretty much playing most of his minutes at as a two guard. Functionally, offensively, he is a two guard. Um, you know, by basketball reference positional estimates, he's played 8% of his minutes at point guard, 64% at shooting guard, 29% at small forward. I think it's just based on height, to be honest. I think that's actually how they measure that. But uh, still, um, yeah, I, the playmaking with Terrence, I, I do want to see some development there. I, I think this is where, you know, I mean, we'll see. I and mean, he's already a little bit too good to play in summer league. We saw it last year. He kind of dominated summer league. But just a, some way for him to get more reps as a point guard. Just because right now, my thing with him is just uh, I see the potential and I, I want to develop it for sure. But it's sort of right now he's so he has only he only plays at one speed right now, you know, yeah. and he doesn't have that in between like yeah, like you come off the high screen, you know, snake the dribble, you know, like let the play develop and then find somebody. He's just right now like zooming through everything. And you're not going to – sometimes he's a little bit too fast for a guy like Ibaka to get in position or like, you know, Mark especially, you know? Yeah, I, I was uh, just talking about this yesterday actually on the Raptors Republic podcast um, because uh, I've noticed like when, when he's running a pick and roll and going up against a drop coverage, like mm-hmm. he's, there's no in-between game. Yeah. Um, and he's he's got three made field goals this year from two point range that are outside the restricted area. So it's like, he's not ever looking to pull up, pull up from mid range. He's got no floater game. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he can't get all the way to the basket, it's like, he's usually just pulling the ball back out. Yeah. And, and that's frustrating sometimes because he's not, I think he's not maybe a, then like a natural playmaker for other players right now. Like he's not driving, looking to pass necessarily. I think he's driving, looking to get all the way to the basket. And if he can't, it's like, Oh, he's, he's pulling it back out and like resetting mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, finding a guy with a pocket pass or kicking it out to the corner. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like some kinks to iron out with him, but I think the ability is there. And with a few more reps, he he's going to get a lot better at that. Yeah. So would you say he's like, would you say he's eighth in the rotation? Obviously, this, the the first seven is pretty set. Um, mm-hmm. So you got uh, – I mean, I guess Norm is kind of the first guard off the bench and Ibaka is the first big. And after that, mm-hmm. you can sort of mix and match. I mean, Terrence is almost a – he's pretty much a wing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be comfortable with him playing, you know, anywhere. Like, I guess the two or the three. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got pretty decent size and strength. Like, I feel like – um, obviously, like maybe bigger small forwards would give him trouble at the defensive end, but right. like he's a he's strong man. I, I don't yeah. 
I, I wouldn't have a lot of issues with him guarding most threes. And, and he's a really good rebounder, too, for his position. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, so, you know, I, I would say 100% he should be the eighth guy. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Nick sees him that way. Right. Um, well, Nick's kind of kept him on a, uh, you know, just a shorter leash in, in the sense that, like, you know, he's he's been willing to criticize him. And, of course, that became a big story, especially because he has this big redemption game and it's an easy narrative to hop on. But, um, you know, I just think in general, like, I think Nick sees him as a, as a rookie. And so he gets a little bit less rope than someone like, uh, you know, like Rondé or, or Pat McCaw, a three-time champion. You know, you can't contain uh, a three-time champion. Yeah. It's just... McCaw's playing 10.4 more <laughs> minutes per game than Terrence Davis. Like, I just don't yeah. understand it. I know we like it's been harped on so much. Mm-hmm. I just can't get over it. Like, why? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. And it's not like Pat is having a down year or whatever. Like, this is exactly what he's been his whole career. Like, if you look at his per 36 numbers, he's averaging 8.3 points this year. His career is 8.6. <laughs> uh, he's shooting 43 44 percent from the field his career is 4.2 like he, he's shooting slightly better on three-pointers he's at but it's only 33 percent from the field and it's just like yeah man it's just i don't even know it's not even like he's like a it's just like a great playmaker in a way like he, again he's had flashes and if he can make those flashes more consistent then yeah it's it's he, you know he he can do some things but i mean just on the whole he's just so invisible most of the games and um it has been a little strange. It's it's really been a little strange. But I I think Nick just clearly likes Pat McCaw. Like every every Nick Nurse interview starts, every scrum starts with you know how I feel about Pat McCaw, <laughs> and I feel like it's almost like a, a running joke at this point. Um, it, it's not like McCaw is the, the Raptors' biggest problems. I, I think obviously the McCaw is a limited player, and the Raptors got a lot of injuries, and so they had to extend their rotation. And everyone had to step into an extended role. And McCaw's not the only bench guy that has underperformed. I think Rondé, for example, has had pretty good moments. But also, as the season has gone on, I'm just like, every time Rondé comes to the game, I'm like, ah, all right. Like, the offense is just going to die, and he's going to miss, like, three layups that he can make. Yeah, but I think that that has a lot to do with the guys that he's playing with, too. Like, early in the season when he was playing great, I feel like, you know, he was he was playing in lineups that were a little bit more optimal for his skill set. And now, right. Like take the spacing. The floor I'm, I'm, is just non-existent. Yeah. And like, I don't think that he and McCaw should ever be on the oh, floor God. together. Yeah. That um, combo is, I'm looking horrendous. at it now. The, the, that, that two man lineup, him and McCaw together, they have an 88.1 offensive rating and a negative 22 net rating That's... in 150 minutes. Like yeah. that should just never happen. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it does speak to how banged up the team is. But I mean, you know, still, I mean, if you look at the, some of the Raptors' recent results, like it's almost directly chalked. Uh, you can directly chalk that up to, I mean, just McCaw and Rondé together. I mean, I mean, like, damn. I mean, in in the Portland game that happened, uh, in the uh, loss that just happened in, in Toronto, what, yeah, uh, the Spurs game, the Spurs game, yeah, yeah, it was the same thing. Like the the bench couldn't score; they lost all the momentum, and it's like the Spurs go on a run, and then all of a sudden the Raptors, you know. They scrapped and, and fought a little bit at the end and they hit some threes, but ultimately if the bench doesn't come in and ruin an 18-point lead. Like, if you can't trust the bench with an 18-point lead, like, you just can't play them together. That's just just kind of what it is, you know? Yeah, and uh, just just as a counterpoint to the Hollis Jefferson and McCaw minutes, mm. Hollis Jefferson and Terrence Davis, almost 400 minutes together this season, right. 109.6 offensive rating, 12.4 okay. net rating. So Okay. 
um, you know, play play Rondé with guys who can complement his skill set rather than um, hinder him. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. It's weird because I think Nick has done a really good job in general. And I think on the, the, the last Pound the Rock podcast, which I was just listening to when you guys handed out, you and Joey Cash uh, handed out um, awards, the midseason NBA awards. I think you guys both had Nick Nurse as coach of the year. Like, yeah, we did. Yeah, he's he's done an amazing job with the team. It's it's just <laughs> just one small tiny thing that's just kind of like, why you know? Yeah, uh, I can't explain it. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to most things, I've just gotten to a place where I'm willing to kind of entrust uh, like trust Nurse implicitly, mm-hmm. um, and and just assume that he knows exactly what he's doing. That there's uh, a big picture that he's looking at that he's seeing that I'm not and mm-hmm. this is the one that I just can't seem to crack I can't figure it out yeah maybe look listen after uh three seasons and 175 games played maybe this is when McCaw breaks out you know <laughs> it honestly it's hard to average four points a game on the Warriors <laughs> you have so many other threats around you and you're only scoring four it's it's yeah, anyway. I mean, eight points per 36 minutes is pretty remarkable. That's like, for a guard. Here's the thing. Like, it's one thing for, like, Mark to do something like that just because, like, it's just not the same. Like, you have an outsized uh, impact just because, like, he's outsized. Like, he's, like, seven feet tall and he defends and he does all these things. And when he does defend, like, it's it's so much more impactful than when a guard defends. But, when like, when you're – like, how many point guards in the NBA nowadays are successful uh, who cannot get their own shot? Right, like it's 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 like I mean, a Rondo problem, except he's like way 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 worse than Rondo. Yeah, Rondo is like an elite passer at least, yeah. and can comfortably handle the ball. Like I don't like watching McCaw dribble; yeah. it makes me nervous. Yeah. Well, that 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 concludes the five minutes of Pat McCaslander. <laughs> uh, it's unfortunate, you know, but I mean, you know, for for the most part, I think yeah, the Raptors are in a really good spot. They really are. Like I mean, it's it's frustrating they've dropped a couple of games here. Um, you know, I do want to see them get back to a consistency where like every under 500 team is a win and they are competing with all the other, uh, all the other top teams. And, you know, Nick Nurse goes, so I think now that Mark is coming back to the lineup, which is confirmed for, uh, today's game, um, in, in on the road against OKC, uh, we're recording this in the morning right now. Um, I think when Mark comes back, I think, you know, we're going to go back to seeing more of the aggressive defenses right now with Ibaka, you can pretty much only play drop. Because you can, you know, let him protect the basket and get a bunch of rebounds. Um, but I think with Mark in the lineup, I think the IQ of the team changes, especially a lot defensively, and you can see a lot more traps and things like that. So um, I'm I'm excited to see this team just get into a rhythm. And, and really, you get into rhythm, you you get an easy month. And really, the, the month of January is pretty easy. The month of February is not that hard either. Um, you you coast through all this, and you try to get a bit of a lead. Uh, in that two spot where the Raptors are currently two and a half games back of. If they get to the two seed um, by the all-star break, I'd be pretty thrilled with, with where they are. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be? Uh, th- those losses where, like, the Portland and San Antonio game especially, like, the Thunder game was tough too, but it wasn't like, you know, they weren't leading by double digits in the fourth quarter of mm-hmm. that game the way that they were against the Blazers and Spurs. Like, those losses really sting because that's a great opportunity to make up some ground in that race for the two seed with with Miami dropping a couple winnable games and Bro, the Celtics dropping the a couple winnable games like <laughs> it's it just like you had such a good opportunity to uh to put yourself in just like real like close striking distance uh, as you enter this softer stretch and like I think they're still going to have a chance to make up some ground and, and to get there by the all-star break but like 
they would have been in really good shape if they'd won those two games. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But, I mean, on the whole, you go through half a season, you have, like, three, maybe three, three, three or four disappointing losses. It's, it's not the worst thing. Um, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're going to take a quick break right here, and I'm going to give you a message from our sponsor. So, baseball has hot dogs. Football has nachos. So when does basketball get its official food? How about right now? Kentucky Fried Chicken, the official food of basketball. Think about it. Basketball players make buckets all the time. KFC makes buckets all the time. And theirs are filled with fried chicken, like famous original recipe or crispy popcorn chicken or even juicy tenders. So that settles it. KFC, the official food of basketball. Order at kfc.ca and get it before tip-off. Uh, aside from ordering KFC, we are also going to talk about um, just this question that I've had. Just because you know, um, it, it's it's more of a feeling than it is a, a statistic. Because I think um, just by advanced metrics, the Raptors' offense has been close to top ten uh, in, in crunch time. But it is a bit of a question to me, and just as I test in terms of just like how the Raptors are going to generate. Uh, baskets when the game gets close the game gets tight especially in the fourth quarter um we know the raptors can defend in those scenarios so that's that's good but how are they going to get offense and i think this is a theme that sort of played out um you know a little bit in that indiana game um that one was more of a defensive issue i think kyle was really holding it down for the offense uh but definitely in that okc game and uh you see it in the portland game and now you see it against the spurs um Wolfon, I mean, I'll just ask you, like, do you see this as an issue, crunch time offense gener- uh, creation? I mean, maybe more so than last year. Uh, you don't have just, like, a spill-and-cold closer like yeah. Kawhi who you could give the ball to and just kind of get out of the way and trust that he can go one-on-one and get his own shot against pretty much anybody. But I think, like, early in the year in crunch time, they were having a lot of success you know, running the offense through Pascal, whether it was like the Lowry Siakam pick and roll down the stretch of games was really effective. Yeah. Um, and I think you can, like you can invert that pick and roll, right? Like you can yeah. run it with Siakam as a screener and he got really comfortable on the short roll, either, uh, you know, pulling up from like the free throw line or hitting like a little runner. And if you, if you invert that, like Lowry's a really good screener. So I feel like he's, generally going to be able to make that screen stick, force a switch, and then Siakam essentially going one-on-one against a smaller defender uh, is something that I feel pretty comfortable with. Yeah. And even, like you saw in that Spurs game, he had, he had DeRozan on him on that last possession yeah. and pretty easily it's... Um, you know, got, got to that spin move and got a wide-open look at a layup yeah. that uh, you know, 70% of the time more than 70% of the time, like probably 85% of the time he's going to hit that layup. Yeah. And he just didn't. And whether it was tired legs or whether it was just one of those things where, you know, you're a little bit rushed, you're a little bit anxious, the game is close, like, and and you get a bit of the yips, he misses the layup, and they lose the game. But, like, you can't be upset with the process um, in that situation. So... I think once Siakam is sort of back up to speed mm-hmm. and his conditioning is back and he's feeling fresh down the stretch of games, I, I think it's going to be fine. Like he is, again, he's not Kawhi, but I, I think he's a more than good enough closer that you can feel comfortable essentially running your late game offense through him. Is, is it a concern to you at all that his dribble isn't as 
his handle isn't as tight as you would normally expect from a closer. Um, just to like you know, in terms of getting his own offense, because he can get his own offense. But I, I feel like if there's double teams and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, he, I'm I'm not as comfortable with him having the ball uh, as I would be, for example, with a Kawhi or with a Kyrie or uh, you know LeBron or Steph or you know James Harden, you know these kind of guys. Yeah, that's definitely true, and I think that's why you know for the most part teams do run their late game offense through guards yeah. um, or at least, you know, primary playmakers. Like you, I guess LeBron isn't a guard, but like you, you put the ball in the hands of a guy who is, is creating shots, whether for himself or other people. And um, that's been like sort of the big problem with Philadelphia, right? Like they don't have that guy who they mm-hmm. can give the ball to, who has a tight enough handle to get their own shot, to break down a defense off the bounce. And, you know, they're, sort of relegated to having to run their late game offense out of the post mm-hmm. and Embiid has has struggled with turnovers and he's not the greatest passer out of double teams although I think you know he's gotten better on that front like he can draw fouls and things like that right um and Siakam's sort of somewhere in the middle where he can handle the ball pretty well uh there are certain guys like you know plotting big men I suppose that he can easily take off the bounce and mm-hmm. smaller guys that he can take into the post. He's not a dominant post force the way that Embiid is, and he's not a dominant off the dribble force like you know some of the guys like like Kawhi and Kyrie that you mentioned. So yeah, he he falls somewhere in the middle on both of those fronts, and you kind of just got to make the most of it. But I think the good thing is he's not you know he's not their closer to the extent that it's like every single possession like they're just clearing out for him. Yeah. And they they have like other high end creators that they can involve in their late game sets to make that a little bit easier on them. Whether it's Lowry, whether it's Van Vliet, um, they love to run that hammer play out of timeouts to get those corner threes. Mm-hmm. It seems to work. Like I, I don't know yeah. how it works out as often as it does, but they almost always get a clean look out of that set. Yeah, I think it helps um, to have they can run that for either Fred or Kyle, so it's a little mm-hmm. more unpredictable. But yeah. still, yeah, it does work an amazing <laughs> amount of times. Um, so, you know, I think, I think that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's fine to kind of close by committee Yeah. when, when you don't have one of those ace, you know, ball handling closers. And I think because there is enough surrounding and complimentary ball handling, um, you can feel pretty comfortable putting it in, in just about anybody's hands and, and expecting them to make a play. Yeah, that's true. And, and there's something to be said about being uh, more unpredictable and a little bit more flexible um, in terms of just like, you know, defenses can't load up. Uh, coming out of a timeout, you're not exactly sure what the other team's going to run. Um, you can't set up your defense specific against one guy. Um, and, of course, if that guy is cold, then it's not like your whole team is cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about the scores tied 90-90 in Game 7. And there's 4.2 seconds left on the clock. <laughs> and you got to yeah. get a shot. <laughs> I'm thinking about that scenario. And I think that's where not having the, just like the big wing who can dribble and shoot off, and just shoot off the dribble consistently, it, it does worry me a little bit. But then, then again, I don't know, man. Pascal, you've kind of seen him all season. Like, he's taking some lesser efficient shots in the sense that, like, you don't want to see him go hunting for shots that often in the mid-range. But I also think if you look at the bigger picture, I think he is taking those shots with a specific goal in mind of just um, 
yeah, he's going to have to eventually take that shot. And I guess, you know, if, if, if it, again, came down to game seven and there's four seconds left on the clock, the Raptors have the ball and in the front court, the inbound, they're probably giving that ball to Siakam and he's probably got to, you know, make one or two, maybe I probably at most two dribble moves and shooting it. And, and he needs to get consistent with that shot. And, um, and he also needs guys to guard him out there. That's true. You know, like, yeah, like that's true. if, like the more that that shot becomes a legitimate threat, uh, the easier it's going to be for him to get all the way to the basket. Like, you know, we saw what he ran into in the playoffs last year when the teams that are, you know, sticking big guys on him, essentially daring him to shoot. And if, if he's not willing to do so or not able to mm-hmm. knock those shots down, then yeah. they're just waiting for him under the basket. Um, but if, if guys actually have to come and, and take that shot seriously, mm-hmm that's going to just open everything up for him. And I think we've seen a lot of that this season, but the, the jumper has sort of fallen off, I think, from where it was at at the start of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's also had some tired legs. He's had some weird games where it's just the, the sh- he can definitely shoot, and he actually makes them in a pretty respectable clip. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, the, the one it's like how many shots do you trust him to shoot right now? I mean, I definitely trust him to shoot the corner three. He's very good at that. Um but when it when it's like top of the key and stuff like that, even though he has improved and his numbers are dramatically different than when they were last year, I'm not trying to like underplay the uh, the development here. But it's it reminds me of when Nick Nurse said at practice like a couple months ago. He's just like, look, man, Pascal's improved a lot, but he's probably like 12 to 18 months away from his just like being fully arrived as a shooter. And we are still kind of watching him at a at a development point as compared to the finished product. But yeah, I mean, there's just some erratic misses from him. You know, where you're just like, yeah. what, 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 what? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was talking to a friend about this recently and we were sort of commenting on the fact that it seemed like early in the season he was making that like one legged uh, fade away with a lot of regularity. Like it seemed like that shot was just going to be money for him. And I, I kind of can't remember the last time he's made that shot. I feel yeah. like uh, he's maybe just lost the touch on that particular jumper. Yeah. But um on the like really encouraging side of the ledger, uh, so last year he took 63 above the break threes. Yeah. And he hit 27% of them. Yeah. And this year already he's shot 133 above the break threes, and he's shooting 39%. He's shooting better above the break than from the corners. That's wild. And, <laughs> and, he's, and he's taking three times as many threes above the break as he is from the corners. So I think for one thing that speaks to like, his changing role mm-hmm. like he's not spotting up anymore he's the guy who has the ball in his hands yeah and typically those guys shoot above the break they don't shoot in the corners you don't really handle the ball in the corner ever so he's completely inverted um his three-point shot profile uh, to the point that he's now both taking way way more of his shots above the break and actually hitting them in a better clip yeah. than he is from the corners so it's weird though as a feel thing it always feels i'm always like yeah he shoots a corner three it's going in and then mm-hmm. when it's above the break off the dribble it's not there but then also there's been a lot of games where he's just been red hot and closed out games like that you know like he, he did that to the pistons a couple of times um and in that even in that game when he had a he hurt his uh groin or whatever he still hit two more threes after that to uh to, to close <laughs> out that game which is pretty great. Um, yeah, I mean, as a whole, I don't know. Man. I, I just It's a sort of an open question for me. I'm, I'm not saying it's necessarily a huge fundamental weakness, um, but it is something that I'd like to see answered um, as the year goes on. I'd like to see more Pascal in that role, and I'd just like to see like if there's some sort of consistency in terms of how the Raptors are going to run that offense. Because I think kind of we kind of agree that like Kyle was not really that guy to always get you a bucket, 
he can definitely make a lot of plays in crunch time, but he's not really the guy I want taking the last shot. Um, and maybe it's just having seen the last shot, um, you know, against what in Indiana and a couple of these games here where where they've needed some offense and he hasn't really really delivered that shot but i mean still um i think just historically it's just it's hard for a 64 guard to get a great shot at that moment yeah unless you're well, in that indiana apparently. game i'm yeah chris paul absolutely Seriously. killing it well that that's where it really helps to just have that money mid-range game right yeah. like that's a shot that like if you can get to it reliably um like it's it's kind of always going to be there because like a defense just like they, they can't take away everything and i feel like um like late in the game um if you can just create a little bit of separation mm-hmm. like that's why Kawhi was so effective because he could get to that spot and just rise up and nobody could really bother his shot from like 15 feet and and that's just not really kyle's game um but you know in the in that indiana game like he got a great look out of that hammer action yeah. Pretty much a wide open corner three, yeah. And unfortunately, just wasn't able to knock it down. But like, that's a shot that I will live with with him getting and taking ten times out of ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially given that he'd had such an unbelievable game up to that point. Right. Um, I, I'm comfortable with with Kyle Lowry taking a wide open corner three to tie a game. Like, I think that's fine. And again, good process. Just didn't get the result that they needed. Yeah. All right. Well, if we take a look beyond this season. I do have some long-term questions that I, I hope to have answered in sort of the, the, the second half of the year in the playoffs and beyond. Uh, first off, who is the starting center next year? Not a lot of bigs in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, I would just love to see them bring back Mark on a one-year deal. Mm. Like, that would be that would be perfect. Give him, like, give him $20 million. I don't care. Like, yep. Do you think that's enough to bring him back for one year? Yeah, twenty. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think he I likes think the situation like, too, so that helps. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, maybe, like, I, I don't know if he could make up that that kind of money on the open market. Like, I don't think a team is even going to give him like two years, twenty five million. So I think if they were to get, like willing to give him one year twenty, then that would be enough mm. to to lock him in for another year. Uh, that's my feeling, and I think that would be my first choice. I don't see Ibaka being back as as much as that saddens me. Mm. Uh, I feel like by next year, Boucher will probably be ready to be like the full-time backup center. Mm. Um, and I think you could maybe live with that. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, it's not like they're not going to sign Andre Drummond, like, nor should they. Uh, they're not going to sign anybody that's going to compromise their long-term cap space. Yeah. So to do, you know, like a kind of a Kyle Lowry type deal where you're giving them like a balloon payment in exchange for getting the shorter term, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like they would probably try and do that. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably the most ideal one. Um, There is a bit of a question to me as to which one to sign in terms of like Serge or Mark. I mean, if they both want to come back on one-year deals... I'm fine with that too, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I, I doubt that, especially in the case of Surge. I think Surge is in well positioned to get another multi-year contract at a pretty hefty price, and he deserves that. Honestly, he's he's played really well, and he's really take, taken care of his body. He's developed this game a little bit too. He's he's shown a lot of. Imp- I can't believe. Dude, I remember when we were at the score, and, and you wrote that piece about uh, 
uh, Serge Ibaka. This is before the 2018 playoffs. And, you're, and one <laughs> yeah. of the quotes in there was Serge is like, hey, man, you can count on me, all right? In the playoffs, I'm going to step up. And then all my memories of Serge in the 2018 playoffs are him getting stripped by Kyle Korver. Oh, my God. He couldn't dribble past half court. But uh, that, you remember how that playoff started for him? He had an unbelievable oh, yeah, that's game, right, game, game one against the Wizards. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, playoff Ibaka. It is yeah, on. Yeah. We were yelling and... playoff Ibaka at each other at, at, in the basement of Doc Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I, like, yeah, I talked to him for that story, and he was mm-hmm. so just, like, full of confidence. And he was like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, And I, I'm thinking, like, this guy has been part of, some of the most intense Western Conference playoff series that we've ever seen. Like, he's not, like, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. He's not going to get shook. He's been there before. He knows how to sort of pace himself. And come playoff time, he's going to be a beast. And and then he really, really wasn't. Um, but yeah. the credit to him for coming back last year and just being pretty much perfect in his role. I was going to say, bench. he, I was just... The development from his from his perspective is it's it's just impressive for for an older guy to increase his skill set like that, and he's so much more polished now than when he first came to Toronto. So big credit to Serge. I think yeah, he's probably going to multi year deal. So I think that one's a little bit less realistic in terms of the Raptors re-signing him on a one year deal to preserve the cap. And I think Mark he probably likes it here, man. You know, yeah. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, he's in a great great situation to kind of play out the twilight of his career. That's true. It's a winning organization. There's I guess good Spanish restaurants in Toronto. <laughs> yeah, there's good everything restaurants in Toronto. That's true. There is good everything restaurants. See, he's a worldly man. Um, yeah. So I, I okay. I agree. I, I think uh, I think Mark's there. And the Boucher long term. I mean, I want to do question a little bit just because I'm still not fully convinced that Boucher is. Well, he's better than Bebe, but it could be a Bebe type of situation where like he's productive and useful. Uh, but also maybe a little bit fundamentally flawed. I think his mentality is definitely better than than Bebe's in the sense that, like, it's just he's more focused on the game. On a game-to-game basis, it's just less, like, mental um, slip-ups from, from Boucher. But, I mean, I don't know. He's also 27. This is sort of the, the peak of his athleticism. Uh, yeah. He's definitely productive, and he definitely deserves to be in the NBA and, you know, has contributed to a winning team. He's shown that this year, but... Um, even as like he's, a full-time backup, I'm still a little bit leery about it, you know? He's way more explosive than Bebe. He's way faster than Bebe. Yeah. And he's just more even-keeled too, right? Like Bebe was like, he'd have wild swings and like he was sort of notoriously moody, would get really down on himself. And it was there was just a lot more volatility there where I feel like with Boucher, he's been pretty steady. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just think... Like, maybe he's prone to the same kind of slip-ups. Like, he still hasn't quite nailed down, like, the intricacies of of NBA defense. And he's very jumpy. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to rebounding, like, he often just kind of tries to jump for the ball rather than boxing out. Like, he maybe gets a little bit over-exuberant Any jumping for blocks when he doesn't need to. <laughs> like, gets pump-faked off his feet. But, but like, his recovery speed. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's insane. And I think he might lead the league in block three point shots. I don't know where at to least find on numbers like a perma- on, this. on a permanent basis. He's probably pretty close. It's like him it and Mitchell be, Robinson, right? I would think. It has to be. Yeah, exactly. Those two, and I think apparently Tatum is also pretty high up there too this year. Oh really? Yeah, and last year he was among the league leaders. But like, it's surprising. Like the league leader in three point shots usually is you don't really see even double digits that often. 
And mm-hmm. I feel like Boucher has already gone to double digits in terms of three point blocks. He's maybe in that Dallas Mavericks game alone, that comeback, I think he blocked like two. <laughs> so Yeah. Uh, and then you add in just like the, the shooters that he spooks when mm. when like he's closing out or when he's in the vicinity and, and deters him from even taking those shots in the first place. Like he yeah. I think it's a nice luxury having him as essentially your third big man. Um and, oh, yeah. and I honestly like just watching him this season, I would have faith in him being like a full time backup. I think he's good enough. And um I think within the Raptors sort of hyper aggressive scheme, like he is really effective because A, he's a very good trapper and mm-hmm. B he's fast enough to sort of recover and get back into position and make make their back end scrambles work. So Yeah. And he's not even that bad of a defensive rebounder, even though he's just like mad skinny or whatever. Like the hustle and the length is there. Um, Makes sort up of for comp- a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, his defensive rebounding rate for his career is twenty one percent, and really his career is like the last two years. It's not bad. Twenty one percent is not bad. It's probably better than Marks, to be honest. <laughs> it's definitely not like thirty percent like JV, but still, clearly different players. Okay, that that's one of my long term questions. Matter the long term question: Has Norman Powell played himself into being an asset? So we've talked a long time about Norman Powell signing this contract and then being disappointing on the contract. But this season, if you look at the numbers and you look at the production that he's had and also just the improvement that he's made, you can make the point that Norman Powell might actually now be an asset on his contract. First off, I mean, let me just give you the numbers. Norman Powell's averaging 14.6 points per game, 3.9 rebounds, 1.8 assists. I can't believe that's almost two. That's kind of impressive. I thought it was going to be one for sure. And then 1.1 steals. He's shooting... For, uh, 50% from the field, 49.7. Uh, he's shooting 40% from three. Uh, you know, he's getting to the free throw line. Not a lot, but definitely more than last season. And he's shooting 83% from there. Uh, as a starter, those numbers are even better. Um, you know, if you look at just the starts this year, and even last year as a starter, he was okay. Um, but this year, especially, 17.2 points as a starter, 2.2 assists, 3.8 rebounds. The offensive rating 119 with him on the floor and defensive rating 106. Like that's pretty pretty damn good, and and he's and he's only really getting good. paid like about ten million dollars a year at this point. Would you say he's an asset, or, or would you or do you still kind of look at it as a question mark? Um, I think he's probably pretty close to neutral value on that contract, maybe slightly above. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like a lot of encouraging signs. I mean, the fact that he's shooting forty percent from three for the second year in a row. Yeah. And is up around sixty percent true shooting for the second year in a row. Uh, he's actually at sixty-two percent true shooting. That is crazy. And um, probably most encouraging of all is like shooting sixty-nine percent in the restricted area. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, like he he had a lot of trouble oh, man. in the past finishing around the rim, and like way too he fast. He has just been he's just been dynamite uh, as a finisher this year. So yeah, yeah, I think maybe like slightly above neutral value um, to the point that like if if the Raptors were like looking to make an upgrade, if you attach, I feel like the Raptors first rounder this year isn't super valuable, both because it's going to be in the twenties and everyone seems really down on this draft class. But yeah. if you like attach the first rounder to norm, I feel like that's a pretty good trade package that might be able to get you a solid upgrade. Um, yeah. And you so, know, the, the weird thing with, in terms of upgrade, just like, I've, in trading Norm and upgrading from Norm, I just wanted, like, good Norm consistently. And, like, good Norm has been consistent for, like, I mean, okay, obviously there's an injury in between, but it was good against the Spurs. And before that, it was, like, three weeks straight of consistency. And whatever. I mean, maybe you want a whole season <laughs> worth of consistency instead of just three weeks. But, um, you know, 
he's he, it's been eye opening, man. He he's really made improvements. I'm really happy for Norm. I hope. I yeah, mean, me I hope too. we don't. This doesn't mean he gets traded, but still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be sad if, like, after all that work, like, to turn himself into a productive player, it it like all that earned him was a trade to Sacramento or something like that. Yeah. Um, oh God. <laughs> but. Uh, what you want, look, Bojan? Like if, or Bogdan? Yeah, I I do actually. Yeah, he would be really nice. In, in terms um, of, oh my God, as he'd be like. What the fourth playmaker, maybe third, but yeah, yeah. it'd be nice. We'd have five legitimate playmakers. It'd be very yeah. nice. Yeah, and even I think there's a couple different ways they could go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming that teams around the league would actually value that that say Powell in the first package the way that I am seeming to value it. Yeah, I don't know if that would be enough to get bogged in, but you could go in that direction where you're looking to get like another sort of tweener like scorer slash playmaker yeah um whether that's bogdanovich or like a evan fournier type yeah and then there's also the thought of maybe trying to get somebody like covington mm. who's just giving you more at the defensive end of the floor like norm's defense really hit or miss i think on the ball he's pretty solid off ball he spaces out a lot yeah and and covington is like one of the best wing help defenders in the league and has become like a really reliable three-point shooter so i feel like that would be a pretty nice upgrade as well yeah yeah that one i mean actually uh asad slid into the mentions and asked me that yesterday uh, i i think ultimately i trust covington a little bit more than norm so i said yes but it, it's weird if, if fit wise i don't think it's the best um yeah okay but I, I think ultimately it's it's it has to be at least neutral at this point um, because yeah, it's also so. like the contract is just really like cheap it's like $10 million. It's 11 next year. It's a player option for 12 uh, in 2021. Um, you know, it, I'm no longer looking at it like, man, the Raptors need to get this, not not get this contract off the books, but it's sort of, it's it's a hindrance to what they might want to do. I'm looking at it almost as like a, it's a tradable contract. It's a good number. It's a, and, and the production is good. So it's, 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 it's an asset. I mean, I don't know what else you really want um, out of that. Okay, the, the third long-term question and the last one. Is OG Anobi a core piece or a trade piece? Uh, I think he's a core piece. Okay. I mean, uh, do you would you say otherwise? Like, I, I don't. Um, I've I've not really thought about it. I guess, but I've always considered him a core piece. He's still only what is he twenty two? Twenty two. And yeah. and I think you know maybe a little bit of the shine has come off after the start of the season when it looked like yeah. Uh, he was just going to be an absolute stud, like his yeah. offensive game. And I, I still think he's made meaningful improvements offensively. Uh, but like he was, you know, through the first month of the season, like one of the very small handful of like the, the absolute best defenders in the NBA. I don't think he's been quite that good mm-hmm. since then, but I still think he's been spectacular uh, defensively. And to see him at least being willing to take guys off of the dribble. Um, he's, you know, had a couple of flashes where he's, like, shooting off of screens and pulling up a little bit. Yeah. I don't think he, – he's never going to be an offensive star. Like, he's no. never going to be a guy no. who's, like, running pick and roll, shooting threes off the dribble. Like, that's just not going to be his game. But mm-hmm. I think his upside is still elite role player. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a guy to, you know, pair with, with Siakam and – 
presumably Van Vliet and maybe, you know, a free agent signing or two. Yeah. I feel like that's a guy that you want to have around. Um, and now obviously like, you know, nothing's ever totally off the table. Like if the right trade comes around where you see a chance to get a superstar and, and it means parting with OG, it's not like I'm opposed to that, but if I'm right. looking at it now, I, I definitely see him more as a long-term piece than a trade chip. Uh, do you feel otherwise? Uh, no, I, I feel the same as you. I, I'm kind of asking this question because other people have asked the question. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's like a OG's like a marshmallow. The marshmallow test. Like, do you, do you want to trade him now for Gallinari, or do you want to wait to have him grow and, and get? I don't know. To trade him for two Gallinaris two. later. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why they call it the marshmallow test. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's just yeah. I'm looking at it like if you had reasonable expectations from OG. And, and didn't think of him as the next Kawhi Leonard or whatever, um, then I think you'd be pretty – I think reasonable minds can agree that he's made tangible improvements across the board. Um, the three-point shooting has definitely bounced back from where it was last year. He's playing more of his own uh, – His it seems like he's more of a three than a four. Last year he played a lot of minutes as a four. Just This is not as effective in that role. Um, even though there's not that big of a difference, I just think that like when he's out there with a power forward like Pascal, and it, it just the fit in the starting lineup, as you mentioned, it just works really great. And I think a lot of his production tailing off is just a reflection of injuries, to be honest. If a guy can't create his own offense and there's a lot less playmakers on the floor, he's not going to be unsuccessful. But you look at it, the field goal percentage is 49.6%. He's shooting 38% from three. Um, the free throw percentage, for some odd reason, is low. And for a while in the season, he was shooting like in the 30s, but it's rebounded. Um, it's, the rebounding has been a really nice uptick because, um, especially in a long-term fit with a, a long guy like Pascal, I think you do want a plus re- rebounder at that position just because Pascal is not necessarily the greatest rebounder for a power forward. I know, granted, nowadays everyone's smaller. You know, it's it's fine. But still, um, OG's definitely stepped up in terms of the rebounding. Uh, the assists are up. And then he's also just still creating a lot of havoc on defense. And so when you put that all together, it's like for a 22-year-old who – um, you have his restricted rights after the season, or after, after next season. Um, it just—I think it probably makes more sense to hold on to OG because if you trade OG, you're immediately looking for another OG and OB to fill that slot. Right. And the Raptors have had so much instability at small forward, just historically as a franchise. Um, that yeah, OG is—he's is, kind of a godsend. He really brought stability to that that, that position even back in 2017-18 when he was a rookie and he won it over Norman Powell who just straight up isn't a small forward. But, yeah, I mean, it's been great. I mean, obviously they got Kawhi in between that, and, you know, he was a lot of stability at power, at, 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 at small forward. But, yeah, I mean, long-term-wise, I, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with where OG is. And I think it's really just, like, can a guy develop handles to a point where uh, it can allow him to connect more parts of his game? And I don't know where you stand on that because, you know, I think we can all agree three-point shooting is something that can be developed is – is developing handles and even just not even just handles but like the the mentality to and the confidence to attack a defense is that something that can be developed i think it certainly can be i think the what happened with Kawhi sort of spoiled people to the point where they're looking at at og as a rookie and as you know a guy who basically fit that prototype who came ready made with the body and the defensive skill set and the iq but needed to fill out the rest of his game and it's just like Kawhi was like a needle in a haystack like you just mm-hmm. you know we might never see anything like that again in terms of his skill development and um and I guess Pascal too is like 
spoiled people in the sense that it's like, well, look at the leap that this guy made. And like, when is the Pascal like leap coming for OG? And it's just something like that is never likely. I'm not saying it's impossible and I wouldn't even say that it's totally off the table, but like, I think it's very unlikely, but that doesn't mean that he can't, he can't still grow in those areas. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he has grown in, you know, what's now his third season and his second season was basically like a lost year anyway. So it's almost like this is his second season and he's already, you know, showing some development as a guy who like, it's not, it's not just straight line drives, right? Mm-hmm. Like we knew like he could, uh, you know, attack a closeout, put the ball on the floor. Like he was explosive. He could get to the rim. He was a great cutter. But the thing that's really encouraged me is like he's shown some ability to attack in a little bit more of like a roundabout way where he's he's moving somewhat horizontally. Yeah. And even if it's not just straight attacking a closeout and blowing by guys like he's strong enough where it's like he can take a guy to the basket and he does that kind of like jump stop where he's dipping his shoulder into a guy and knocking Mm -hmm. him back just far enough to get that layup up and in like stuff like that has all been encouraging and even if it's if it's like a little bit more incremental than it looked like it might be at the start of the season I'm still very optimistic about the kind of player he can be moving forward and I don't think the Raptors are close enough to winning a championship this season Mm -hmm. to compromise that for a shorter term upgrade yep and if you were even to trade him for something like that, then you, I mean, I would need a small forward coming back, man. Yeah. There's just not yeah. a lot of small forwards that you can plug into this this team. It's just, you know, OG's, he fits the starting lot really well. Um, okay, that does it for the, the long-term questions. Um, that mostly does for the podcast as well, unless you want to talk about this recent report from Ramona Shelburne that Drake <laughs> uh, allowed Paul George and Kawhi to rent his house. I, I really don't. Yeah. I don't um, care, man. This is the thing. I don't care. He's gone. All the details. It's like, I don't know, man. Someone breaks up with you, and then like six months later, someone gives you like a whole bunch of details. I'm like, I don't care. It is yeah, what it is. It's I, over. I can't, can't do anything about it. And, you know, whatever. Whether they were meeting at Drake's house or somewhere else, it's not like the, that conversation yeah. wasn't going to happen. They could have like, called each other on the phone. Like You could have done a lot of things. Yeah, and it just seems like Kawhi was going to find his way to L.A. one way or another, you know? Like, it really does seem that way. And yeah. I can't – I don't know. I'm, I'm over it. I've been over it for mm-hmm. a while. And so I, I just hope he's happy. I hope he's happy with his decision. I hope he's he's happy playing at home and getting to spend more time with his family. Like, those are the reasons he wanted to go back. So I hope yeah. that uh, it's working out well for him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, obviously, we missed a guy. But yeah, it's not. It, I don't know. I, you can also there's a piece in, in the sense that you can live with the I, the fact that he left because it's entirely on him because the Raptors did everything possible to re- convince him to come back. So I don't really care if like I, I don't know, man. You think what if, if also what was Drake supposed to do? Like he was supposed to just like stand outside the door and just like keep his ear <laughs> <laughs> and to, to the door of the basement where they're discussing it. And then Paul George is like, yeah, you know, I want to uh, uh, let's let's go to the Clippers. And, and Drake's was just storm through like the Kool-Aid man. And I don't know, like, I, nah, what is we supposed to do, man? Like, it's just whatever. Um, yeah, and no, I, what I, a story. I, I, I didn't even read the story, honestly. Like, I just saw the, the kind of um, tidbit floating around on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so I don't I don't know, like, all the details, but um yeah. yeah, I just I, I can't be bothered to care. 
you're not you're not firing the global ambassador based on this <laughs> no um no i think uh i mean whatever is is that still like his title does he still have that role with the team i feel like he's maybe not no he, he still seems is. more like yeah yeah what is what does that role really involve like does he have a job description no he's just he's basically just a famous fan yeah like he's a glorified yeah fan he's yeah he's like i mean i guess jimmy goldstein doesn't really have one specific team but like mm. yeah he's he's not vacha with with actual clout is he on the payroll like they're paying paying him to be like a glorified fan i mean i guess I they have like all pay- those- i think drake pays more to the raptors than the raptors pay drake personally right yeah. Um, well, like between the naming rights to the practice facility uh, yeah. and, but that's like a business deal. Like that's it's, it's fine. I mean, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think Drake supports basketball in Toronto. He supports Canadian basketball for sure. Uh, he supports basketball with the Raptors, and I don't know, man. I just like this arrest Drake stuff. This is this is for Milwaukee fans to to <laughs> indulge in. I just can't. I really can't. It just it's such a stupid thing, man. Yeah. I agree, and I think you know ultimately, like yeah. over the years, the partnership has been has provided more good than bad. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't think it's worth relitigating now. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Joey, um, what have you been working on? Uh, what should people read? Uh, you know, give a little short blurb for uh, Pound the Rock. Um, Pound the Rock is the uh, the Scores NBA podcast. I host it with Joseph Cacharo. And, um, Will, you recently came on for our, our That's right. 100th episode. Yeah. A big milestone for us. And for sure. You were obviously with us from the start and helped us get it off the ground. So it was great to have you back on to talk about the raps. But most of the time on the show, we just talk about uh, the NBA generally, bounce around the league. Mm-hmm. And we hit on a lot of Raptors stuff, but it's more just like in the context of the NBA as a whole. But yeah. Um, we put that out once a week. And, uh, I'm also writing, you know, two, sometimes three features a week at the Score, mm-hmm. Score app, the Score website. Yeah. Um, score bet. About... Come on, man. Get that, <laughs> get that stock up, man. Yeah. Uh, Seriously, we got a, we got homes to buy. <laughs> <laughs> the Score bet is active, I think, in New Jersey only right now. Right. It doesn't but matter, baby. The stock is going possibly up. coming, possibly coming to a state near you. Okay. Sometime well. soon. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I write about all things NBA. I wrote about. LaMarcus Aldridge's three-point shooting. That was the most recent thing I put out. I'm mm-hmm. working on a Grizzlies feature right now. Nice. And, I feel uh, like you couple, would love the Grizzlies. I mean, the Grizzlies are just very, very fun to watch this year. They, they've they been, like, Whew. probably my single favorite non-Raptors team to watch this season. Are they like, your new Pacers? The Pacers is different for me. Like, the Pacers have never been an especially, like, exciting team to watch. It's not like yeah. I watch the Pacers and I'm like, oh, man, this is, like... I can't wait to see what TJ oct- Warren does next. <laughs> this is high-octane basketball. I just, for whatever reason, like, a couple years ago, the first Oladipo season, I mm-hmm. became very attached to that team. Yeah, yeah. I've always, like, had a thing for Nate McMillan teams, weirdly. Okay. Like, I was... That's a weird... I was a huge yeah. fan. I was a huge fan of those Sonics teams. A huge fan of those Blazers teams, yeah. And I honestly couldn't even tell you why. Uh, I just think like he always has his teams prepared. They play really yeah, hard, for sure. They play really smart. Um, so the Pacers are like a completely different thing from the Grizzlies, who are just like play above the rim and like they're fast, they're athletic, uh, and are just like so far ahead of schedule. And I think 
when everything sort of comes together like that and you see like the present and the future collide, uh, it's always really exciting. So writing about them and uh, I have some other stuff in the works, some longer term reported features that I'm excited to put out uh, in the next few weeks. So you can keep an eye out for those and uh, give me a follow at Joey underscore W. Yeah, there you go. So yeah, and, and also man, pound the rock forever, really. It's, it's a mentality. Even though Dwayne Casey has moved on to coaching uh, and, and lying about Seiko Demboya, um, <laughs> you know, it's pound the rock is forever. And also, it's just as an NBA pod, you guys, it's not, you know what it is? Most NBA pods this year, I swear to God, I've heard so much Lakers, Clippers, uh, not even the Celtics. I honestly wouldn't even mind more Celtics coverage just because I feel like it's an underreported team this year. Just in the context of just there's so much freaking Lakers and, and Clippers. Um, and I guess six or drama, whatever, which it's whatever. Um, not that interesting to be honestly, but I mean like, yeah, you guys actually cover like all the whole league. Like you have a whole episode, the jazz and nuggets are rolling. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then right after that, Blake Griffin surgery and trade ideas for Andre Drummond. And you know, there's, there's talks about the Knicks and the Raptors and, and you know, it just, you know, there's just a lot. The heat, the heat got a lot of coverage from you guys and cash seems to really be head over heels for the heat. Yeah. yeah, the heater catches pacers. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. So, uh, listen to Pound the Rock. Follow Joey uh, underscore W. Follow Joe Wolf on. Um, read everything he writes. The absolute must read. Um, and yeah, and as for the podcast, thanks everyone for listening. Um, big thanks to KFC for sponsoring the show. And uh, I'll be back later today, I guess, to to recap the Raptors. Hopefully a win over OKC. I mean, OKC is playing well, but with the Raptors getting more healthy, I, I do want to see them get some of these. And it will be a very nice win if they won an OKC tonight. So uh, we'll speak then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.